Gonna get hyped. <sighs> yeah. Feel like that NXT crowd. <sighs> <laughs> I'm Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Miles, and I'm here to help with the aid of my favorite wrestling show. This is The Next Wrestling Fan, an NXT review podcast for would-be wrestling fans who don't know where to start and current wrestling fans who want to relive the magic of that first time. This week, we're covering the episode of NXT that originally aired on August 14th, 2013. In this episode, Sami Zayn explains the concept of a two out of three falls match, which I'm sure won't be important at all. <laughs> Welcome to episode 13 of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. Last episode, Dan Mulcairin was here, and we talked about genitals. Also, The Shield did things. Uh, they do more things on this episode, but other people do things too, including even more friends from the main roster. I'm sure I'll have lots of explaining to do in Bob's breakdown. Yeah. Not to mention the sight sounds and feels of pro wrestling. And when it comes to me explaining things, there's nothing like the inaugural edition of Wrestling History of the <gasps> Week. We're also going to bring down the mood a little bit when we ring the bell Aww. on some of our friends here in NXT. But not to worry, okay. because we will pick it up back at the end with the Cheap Pop Quiz. Yes. And speaking of which, it's time to find out the answers to last week's Cheap Pop Quiz. I think I did somewhat okay. Question number one from last episode. I don't know what it is about these tapings, but everybody from the main roster showing <laughs> up right now. And that continues into the next episode. We've already seen the tag team champions and the United States champion. Which main roster champion are we going to meet next time? Is it A, the WWE champion? B, the Intercontinental champion? C, the Divas champion? D, both B and C? Or E, all of the above? Bob, you chose the answer C, the Divas Champion, which is correct. Yep. But we also see the Intercontinental Champion. So the actual correct answer is D, both B and C. Uh, I got got. Question number two. I'll tell you one thing about the answer to that last question. At least one of those champions is preceded by his or her manager, a legendary figure in wrestling. His name is Paul Heyman, and among his many accomplishments, he was the mad genius behind the upstart ECW promotion that earned a large following in the late 90s. What did ECW stand for? Was it A, Eastern Collegiate Wrestling? B, European Commons Wrestling? <laughs> So I was really hoping you would pick that one. I just like it as a name. <laughs> C, Extreme Championship Wrestling. D, Evil Corporate Wrestling. Or E, Extremely Crappy Wrestling. Bob, you chose the answer C, Extreme Championship Wrestling, and you are correct. Yeah. Did they actually say that during the episode or was that never said? I don't believe they say it. No. Okay. I was I was listening to see if they would say it and they never did. And then also at that point, I was so absorbed in the episode that I just was like, ow, I'll find out whenever Miles tells me the answers. Most wrestling fans know what ECW stands for, which is something we'll get into a little bit later. And question number three, I will tell you one more thing about the one or more main roster champions who may or may not be managed by Paul Heyman. At least one of them used to be part of Game Show NXT, which was the originator of of the trend of bizarre NXT names that continues to this day. Which of the following members of Game Show NXT appears on the next episode under a slightly less stupid name? Is it A, Michael McGillicuddy? B, Heath Slater? C, Skip Sheffield? D, Lucky Cannon? Or E, Maxine? Apologies to anyone who is actually named Maxine, who is listening to this. It's not really a stupid name. I just needed a woman in there, and there weren't many options, honestly. Um, you didn't go with Ethel? <laughs> I mean, but these are all actual names, Bob. Oh, yeah, fair point, fair point. Yeah, these are all actual names of, uh, of previous NXT characters. But the one who appeared on this episode was Michael McGillicuddy. What? Yeah, you chose the answer B, Heath Slater, who, again, all of these people are former NXT stars, but Curtis Axel, who kicks off this episode, 
originally known as Michael McGillicuddy. I, I, what? It's an even weirder decision when you factor in the fact that he's actually a second generation wrestler and his dad was Mr. Perfect Kurt Hennig and his actual name is Joe Hennig, so why would you not just call him Joe Hennig? And they like they acknowledge it. They say his father was Mr. Perfect Joe Hennig, but his name is Michael McGillicuddy. What? I just can't. That's not a name that you would pick unless you're going, who's going to be a background character in a noir radio drama? <laughs> That's just such I a bizarre know. pick. I really have no idea how that happened. You can definitely see why he changed his name eventually to Curtis Axel, though it's not that much better. Um, <laughs> but at least he chose to honor his father with the Curtis name. And yeah. uh, we're going to hear more about that right now in Bob's Breakdown. We get the traditional opening montage, and I wanted to note that Tyler Breeze is now in the opening montage. He is. And the Wyatt family is still in the opening montage, which makes they me are. It makes me happy, but also a little sad because they're not on the show anymore. So Paul Heyman starts the episode off, and his charisma is off the charts, which I was not yeah. expecting. Uh, yeah. He comes out and it does some spiel. It's very... Friends, Romans, wrestling fans, <laughs> I come to bury Brock Lesnar, not to praise him. Man, if only. If fucking only. <laughs> Brock Lesnar, I'm coming for you. And then we get the big introduction. Curtis Axel. I want to say one thing about that name, which is that I find it weird that it's Curtis Axel and not Kurt Axel, because it seems weird to have a first name with two syllables whenever you could just have Kurt Axel. And that seems mm -hmm. like it'd be tidier. So I don't know what I was expecting whenever the name Curtis Axel got said. But what I was not expecting was a bland, tanned, white beardy dude. Uh, and then Chekhov's gun comes out. There's not a human being in Florida who's man enough to take the Intercontinental Championship from this guy, right? Bang, bang goes the plot device. That's right. Because uh, Big E Langston's theme plays and the King of Powerhouses comes out. And he'll challenge Axel right here, right now. But Axel's like, pff, pff, please. And then sort of says, fine, I'll do it. But let's do it for Thanksgiving or Christmas or Arbor <laughs> Day. I'm, I guess just to be a shit. And then Langston gives him a big old shut up, which I was very happy about. And essentially said, well, you're going to do it right now or you're a scaredy cat. And obviously <laughs> we can't have that. Yeah. Uh, Axel is a heel. And interestingly, so is Heyman. Um, mm. Although the crowd, again, for reasons we'll get into later, the crowd will never stop loving him ever. Mm. So like just no matter how much of a dick he is, Heyman really knows how to work a crowd. Like, that's yeah. one of his innate abilities. And I like the way he says that nobody in NXT can beat Curtis Axel because the crowd also loves the people in NXT. So it's yeah. a great way to get a crowd that is very ready to cheer for you to actually boo you. I felt like I was watching a masterclass in rhetoric in some ways. Mm -hmm. So I mean, some of my background is in is in rhetoric because I teach writing and stuff, which I don't want to get deep into rhetoric because rhetoric is to some extent bullshit. But <laughs> good rhetoric where you're like, oh, man, this person is doing some like word wizardry to get what he wants out of the crowd is always really cool to watch. And also in the background, you know, as Axel and um, Biggie Langston are going back and forth, Paul Heyman is reacting like the most committed movie extra of all time. <laughs> Just grabbing his own face like, <gasps> and then sort of shaking his head. No, don't do it. It's so great. Needless to say, the match is on and it gets underway. Paul Heyman's there cradling the Intercontinental Championship in his arms like, don't worry, baby. Daddy's going to come home. He's not going to abandon us. And then Langston dumps Axel over the top rope like he's emptying the trash. <laughs> and then gut punches Axel five times. He just collapses and then crawls to the apron. Langston starts to drag him to the center, but Axel holds on to the banner decorating the side of the ring like a two-year-old going, no, I don't want to go to grandma's house. <laughs> and Axel gets Langston from behind and starts bearing down on him with knees to the chest and blows to the head. And Axel gets him down the mat, but Langston stands out of it and then just deadlifts him and throws Axel across the ring, which is one of yeah. the great reasons to watch Biggie Langston do literally anything. 
Yeah, you know. Yeah, just hashtag just throwing dudes. Just throwing dudes. So there's a few knocks from Langston. Axel is down the mat and then Langston's straps come off. Five, five, five. But Paul Heyman gets in the ring and clocks Langston in the back of the head. Langston slowly pivots to look at Heyman, who begs for his life. And Langston starts choking him, as you should. But Axel comes from behind and beats Langston down. Axel gets cocky, though, and comes at Langston with a championship belt, but instead gets the big ending. Mm. Night, night, bland man. <laughs> so, Miles, the bell went at some point in there. Yeah. Why and what does it mean for the rest of the action that I saw? Presumably that the ending doesn't actually count because the bell went, but, like, I don't understand what happened. What happened was that Biggie Langston defeated Curtis Axel by disqualification okay. when Paul Heyman put his hands on him. Oh. So, when somebody who's not in the match isn't allowed to come in and, like, you know, strike or in any way contact a person who is in the match. Mm. Um, you know, for whatever reason, they didn't want to take the championship off of Curtis Axel at that time. So they can't have him win, but they don't want Big E losing because they don't want to make him look weak. So you can't have Axel win. A similar dilemma to what they did when Axel or when Langston fought Dallas, right? Yeah. Like, you don't want Langston to lose because you don't you want him to look strong, but you want the championship on Bo. You know, in that case, they did a kind of a screwy finish. Langston lost, but not cleanly, as we would say. There was something else going on that yes. like, explains his loss. In this case, they decided to just have Heyman cause a disqualification, which means that Langston wins but doesn't get the championship. Yeah, because of champions. So advantage, right? That's right. Yeah, That is exactly right. Good job, Bob. So Langston basically doing all the stuff he would do if the match was still going, including pinning him for his own five count. Essentially, it lets you do that without switching the championship. Nice. So now we go backstage and it's Sami Zayn and Renee. And Sami Zayn makes a beautifully impassioned speech telling us that he's not ashamed of who he is, whether or not Cesaro and Coulter think there's something terrible about being Arabic or Canadian or anything else. And Really I, good promo. Yeah, I thought it was really moving. And so I'm going to stop now and give a quote from... I did scholarly research, Miles. Oh, no. <laughs> this may surprise you, but I'm a nerd. Um, <laughs> and I have access to a scholarly library because I teach at a college. So I... Oh, I, you... Ab look at you abusing your power. I know. Drunk on it. <laughs> drunk on it. This is from a 2015 scholarly article in Critical Studies in Men's Fashion titled Don't Call Me White fashioning Sami Zayn's Arabic and transnational identities. Because it's from 2015, this may not apply to what he's currently wearing, but I think the sentiments in it are relevant nonetheless. Quote, Zayn's tights are decorated with many national flags, Arabic characters, and Roman letters to show he possesses a complex identity influenced by not only his ethnic heritage, Syrian, and country of birth, Canada, but every country he has visited and the cultures within them. His popularity and success allow a space within world wrestling entertainment for non-white characters to perform identities not limited to caricatures of their ethnic and racial backgrounds. I was wondering, do you think that Zayn is the start of a more complex representation of race and ethnicity, or is he just the most visible representation of that growing complexity because he's very popular? I'm not sure Sami Zayn caused that. But I think he was an early clue of what NXT was going to be in terms of positive representation, or at least, if not always positive representation, then at the very least, not the awful representation that we're so used to seeing as wrestling fans and specifically as WWE fans. I don't think he started wearing the tights with all the flags yet in our coverage. Right? I don't think so. Um, but he will do that before he leaves NXT. Okay. So you will get to see that. They are the flags of every country he's wrestled in. And Sami Zayn is extremely well-traveled, more so than, than most wrestlers, I would say. The fact that he's allowed to openly be Arabic. Yeah. And, like, he looks Canadian, right? Like, Sami Zayn isn't... He looks white, but he's not. Exactly. At least not, not completely. And... It would be so easy to deny that part of his heritage, mm -hmm. and it would be so easy to give him a character that doesn't incorporate that. Like, he spoke Arabic on TV. In his first appearance. His first appearance. 
looking back, it's really remarkable that they allowed him to do that. I think it's a sign that NXT was going to be different in terms of that sort of inclusivity and representation. And I also think it's a sign that NXT was going to be different in terms of sort of ushering in a new model for bringing independent wrestlers into the WWE system. Because Sami Zayn obviously was not using the El Generico character that he had been using on the indies during the work that had gotten him signed in the first place. But as we move forward in wrestling history, you're going to see more and more wrestlers show up just using the names and characters they used on the indies. Oh, which that's was cool. A- which was unheard of at the time. It's going to happen over the next couple of years, starting in NXT. But like, you know, someone like AJ Styles, who you don't know, but he was such a big name that he came straight from the independence to the WWE main roster. He skipped NXT. And for someone like him to come in, he's just AJ Styles. And he's wearing the AJ Styles gear, and he's doing the AJ Styles character, and all the AJ Styles moves. Like, before NXT started bringing guys in and doing that, you would never see that. They would always be repackaged because WWE had nothing but contempt for the independent scene. So I think Zayn is sort of a harbinger in a way of the fact that NXT was going to be different in a lot of different capacities and including representation and including having more of a grasp on the character you wanted to portray once you got to WWE. At the time, it was a total outlier. Mm. I feel wiser now. And also, I will send you that article. And if there's yeah, more you want to talk about from it, I had like two others on masculinity and wrestling that I pulled up. Send me all of them. <laughs> I live for that shit. Yeah. Okay. Back to the thing we're here for. <laughs> Match two. Ah, oh, it's Mason Ryan. <laughs> oh, I, I had missed him. Glad he's back. Also, Scott Dawson is there. I don't mind seeing Scott Dawson. It's fine. <laughs> So the bell goes and Scott Dawson starts yelling in Ryan's face and Ryan gives him a look and Dawson immediately starts backing up going, no, 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 no. But it's too late. And uh, Dawson gets a hoof to the head and two big (laughs) clotheslines. And he's on the mat when Enzo and Cassidy come in and Ryan is momentarily distracted, which is enough time for Dawson to get him in the back of the knee. Dawson Mm. gets him with a few good knees to the face. And then he tries to do an Irish whip on Mason Ryan. And it works out about as well as if you tried to do an Irish whip on a Clydesdale. (laughs) Ryan reverses the whip. And then he does a huge kick to Dawson's head, followed up by a juicy slam and the pin. And Enzo and Cassidy rush the ring, but Ryan tosses them both back out over the ropes. And then, insult to injury, he picks up Scott Dawson and throws him at Enzo and Cassidy, wiping them all out. It is like being beaten with your own weapon. It was delicious poetic justice. Uh, Miles, I had a question. What is the usual course for these kind of feuds when one side of the feud is hopelessly outmatched by the other? Because I did see a little bit of this whenever I went to see WWE Live in El Paso and I saw Braun Strowman Uh and AJ Styles feuding. But most of the feuds I've seen so far have arguably been even. It really depends on what they're doing. You know, sometimes the purpose of a feud like this is just to be like, hey, look, Mason Ryan's fucking great. And no matter how many guys you throw at him, you're not going to beat him. So he's just going to beat these two jokers decisively and then he'll move on to bigger and better things. And I don't actually remember how this ultimately unfolds or if this is the end of it or what, but it'll be interesting to recall. To me, it strikes me thinking about it in terms of like circus stuff and like the circus past of wrestling is that Mm -hmm. a lot of this seems like normal you know acts within it like strongman stuff or all that and then there's like the clowns who come out (laughs) intermittently whenever they're changing scenery or something like that to go hey you know pay attention so that way you don't get bored and leave or give us a bad yelp review or whatever and it feels like that's kind of the purpose of them is like this palate cleanser for the next thing of like here's a stupid match that is just Mason Ryan being amazingly strong and competent at throwing a dude around and these other people being hopeless in the face of that. Ta-da! Yeah, for all that I'm talking about how, you know, we'll see where they're going with it, it doesn't really seem like they're going anywhere with it. Like, it's just kind of Enzo and Cass run out every time and get dunked on. Like, it just keeps happening. It's like, you know, a Sylvester cartoon or Tom and Jerry or something like that, where it's always back at the same place and you always see the bad guy 
idiot character get dunked on and, you know, then back to square one and we begin again. It really does seem more like filler than an actual story being told. And I'm cool with that. I think that's one of the things I love the most about watching Mason Ryan is that there's no pretense of it needing to be good wrestling storytelling. It's mm-hmm. just feats of insanity. And they're like, watch this. And I'm going, absolutely, thank you. I could be wrong about this, but it does seem like this might be the end of the the Mason Ryan versus Enzo and Cass thing. But oh, I'm not positive okay. about well, that. Well, hopefully I still get a little bit more Mason Ryan, but we'll see. Fingers crossed. Okay, so match three. It is Summer Rae versus Paige because sadly Emma was injured at the end of the dance battle. I mean, by Summer Rae, but there you right, go. Right, which is like, so they're like, Emma was hurt. So Summer Rae gets the championship match anyway. (laughs) I know. I thought that was really weird. Like a weird parenting style. Yeah. To go, well, you beat your sibling up enough that they can't go. So yeah, I guess you can go. And you're like, "Uh." Like we have to take someone. Yeah. So you get to go to Disneyland. So you claim their spot in the backseat by right of conquest. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like Dusty Rhodes, like, no, that's bad parenting. Don't do that. I don't know, it's a weird decision, and it's even weirder than just kind of casually mentioned offhand, like, oh, by the way. Yeah, because I kind of would have thought if that was going to be the case, they would have said that at the end of last episode, or when that happened, would go, oh, okay, we're going to acknowledge it now, but then they just yeah, threw she, it here. Yeah, after she beat her up after the dance battle, she was like, I'm in that match, Emma, but it's like, you don't get to decide that, so... But I guess you do. You know, but apparently you do. So, <laughs> again, welcome to Pro Wrestling Pop. Yeah. That shit happens all the time oh, on the okay. fucking main roster where the guy's like i'm in this match now and just like our ref shows up and we're like really we're just giving it to all right (laughs) so summer ray is wearing red and gold it's sort of a dolly parton meets wonder woman look i'm kind of into it the match starts evenly but summer ray traps Paige's head between her thighs and then drops down on the back of Paige's neck smacking her face first into the mat there's a pin attempt but Paige kicks out this is the loudest match i've ever heard i think Summer Rae is making more effort sounds than you'd find in a full playthrough of Skyrim. It is as much screaming and grunting as you can imagine. I was actually a little bit surprised because I kind of thought, oh, we're going to hear, you know, competitive screeching from Paige. But no, it's like Paige sort of respected Summer Rae's screech space and didn't (laughs) intrude. There's a really interesting spot in the match where... Summer Ray does like a really athletic like roll through like she rolls backward and she rolls with Paige and ends up on top of her. Yes. And I was like, wow, that was really cool and athletic. And then she just like does the shaking thing. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's kind of like this match in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, it has a little throwbacky feel that I didn't cover it in depth for that reason, because there was like it wasn't the cool edgy stuff that we saw with some of the Emma Summer Ray stuff. Summer Rae attempts the submission hold, but Paige gets out and drives Summer Rae into the corner. Summer Rae goes for a kick, but Paige gets her foot and throws it down, making Summer Rae flip like a pancake onto her face. And Paige follows it up with some knees to Summer Rae's head. At which point we get the dulcet tones of William Regal saying, I just love to see a lady knee somebody in the face. <laughs> and so William Regal and I have similar kinks, I guess. So, yeah. I mean, William- who doesn't have that kink? But it was nice that William Regal just openly owned it. William Regal fucks. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, <laughs> unstoppably one assumes. <laughs> so before William Regal and I can enjoy any more of that need to face content that we crave, mm-hmm. Paige finishes summary off with the Paige Turner and gets the pin. Okay, so backstage, it's AJ Lee, bubbly as hell, hanging out with Renee, Mm -hmm. and then sneak attack hug from Bailey, and Renee does a look like, I don't want to interrupt whatever this is, I'll just go. (laughs) So then just leaves AJ and Bailey, and Bailey admits to stalking AJ, following AJ from her car, etc., which is (laughs) a hell of a meet cute for this would-be love story. They agree to fight for the Divas Championship, but... Hold the happily ever after because Bailey then says that people call AJ crazy and AJ gets visibly enraged as Bailey goes in for another lingering hug. So methinks this is not OTP material. 
She says, I don't know why people call you crazy. And then AJ gets all cold toward her. And then she says that she thinks they could still be friends after Bailey beats her for the championship. And that was very much the wrong thing to say. Yeah, it was interesting. I'm very interested to see more of AJ Lee as a character because I think there's something very subversive and both subversive and playing into a stereotype of the woman who gets angry when called crazy. Sadly, you're not going to be seeing very much of her. Okay. Um, I think it's an interesting character concept. Yeah. Well, AJ, I want to talk more about her both on this episode and the next episode when she wrestles Bailey for the title because I fucking love her. She's great. She's like one of my favorite women's wrestlers uh, ever. I'm sad that we don't get to spend more time with her, but I am also very excited that we get anything and that we get to talk about her at all because okay. uh, she's really great. And uh, hopefully we get to go back and watch um, some of her stuff in bonus episode context because she also originated in Game Show NXT. Ooh. The third season of Game Show NXT was the women's edition and she was in that. So, oh, wow. Um, yeah. And that's when I first started enjoying her work and I enjoyed it right up until, well, we'll get there. Ooh, foreshadowing. Speaking yeah. of foreshadowing. It's package time and it's Dolph Ziggler. I don't understand a lot of what happened in the package. It was him doing cool things. If you want to know what he looks like, he looks sort of like a Ken doll meets 90s in-sync hairstyles. So there you go. <laughs> but I'm presuming that this is not a Rob Van Dam situation where we're just being reminded that Dolph Ziggler exists. This is because Dolph Ziggler will be in the episode. Yeah, that's correct. And everything I just said about AJ Lee applies in reverse to Dolph Ziggler. I'm like, why the fuck do we really have to watch him? God damn it. Fine. There wasn't a lot whenever I was looking at him that seemed very compelling. I was like, ah, yes, your basic unit of human male. There you go. So now we get the main event. It's a six-man tag team match. The Shield enters through the crowd. What? Mm -hmm. Is the ramp not good enough for you assholes? (laughs) Also, consider that breaking the rules. Arrest yourselves. But no, because they're assholes. And then my good babies. Corey, Elfro, Graves, Adrian, Halfling, Monk, Neville, Xavier, Dragonborn, Bard, Woods? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I'm not an expert in D&D, so somebody help me out here. If you feel like Dragonborn, Bard is not the way to go, I am open to other ideas. At NXT Wrestling Fan on Twitter or NXT Wrestling Fan at gmail.com. Yes, please. So Rollins and Graves start off. Rollins goes for a sort of arm drag flippy thing, but Corey Graves lands it and then flips Rollins following it up with a drop kick and it's hella cool i was like yeah that's right you show the shield they need to like get out of here they're jerks i hate them yeah (laughs) so roland gets up on top of the corner rope for some reason but graves grabs his legs and swings him down onto the mat like seth rollins is a level one mook because he is now he's pretty all right but also fuck off So Graves is moving in for a submission, but Rollins is flailing like a toddler trying to avoid putting on a shirt. And the shield rescue him from this cruelty, pulling him to the outside. But team D&D forever respond with Neville and Woods doing synchronized flips over the top rope onto the shield. Yeah. And then there's a commercial break and we get back and Reigns has Woods and he's got him in the corner beating the frick out of him. And he trades him to Ambrose, who goes for a submission hold. He then tries to flip Woods. But Woods lands it and tags Graves. So Graves dives at Ambrose and takes out one of his knees, crumpling Ambrose like a stupid, shitty, wet piece of paper. (laughs) And he gets Ambrose in Lucky 13. Ambrose looks possessed. He's just shaking like crazy and about to some real acting for him in that moment. I like that. Yeah, it was wild. I was like, man, that's like you got to finish the rest of this match. This match isn't even half over yet. You might want to save some of that. Yeah, he was really like, oh, my God, this hurts. Somebody help me. He's really sold it. And then uh, he's about to submit, but Rollins runs in to kick Graves and break the hold. And now Graves is in trouble. So the shield pass him around like a tube of Dr. Pepper lip gloss. And I know that that doesn't make any sense. But I do want to say if Corey Graves was a lip gloss, he would definitely be Dr. Pepper flavored. Fact. I know. No context for that. That's just me dropping truth. So Ambrose stomps on Graves and goes for a pin. But Graves keeps struggling out. And when Reigns is tagged in, Graves starts kicking the shit out of Reigns' knee. And then he struggles up like a proud elf and clocks Reigns in the jaw. Reigns shoves into the corner, so Graves throws bows and takes out Rollins and Ambrose. But Reigns is pissed and runs at him. But Graves dodges out of the way, leaving Reigns to collide with the ring post. And then 
Graves makes that spicy hot tag to Neville, who is running around like the Flash, tearing through Ambrose, who's been tagged in. He goes for a flying move, but Ambrose, that bastard, <laughs> gets his knees up. He went for the red arrow, his yeah. finishing move. Aww. It's so cool, too. Yeah. So now Woods and Rollins are tagged in. Woods makes some solid pin attempts, and then those magic words. It's Morphin time! And the clothesline that he does sends Rollins flying, but Reigns interrupts the pin, and Neville leaps in, crotch first at Reigns' head. Behold the balls of a champion, Reigns! (laughs) And then Neville somehow flips Reigns over the top rope to the outside while riding on Reigns' shoulders. It was very impressive. And then Rollins and Woods are left in the ring. And when Woods tries to set up a suplex off the top rope, Rollins gets him down and throws him at the ring post. And then it's followed up by a spear from Reigns. And then Woods is pinned. And the shield wins. And I hate it. And they need to get off my TV. They make me angry, so I guess they're good heels. But also, why are they picking on my good, good boys? But importantly, backstage, it is Cesaro talking with Renee Young. And Cesaro is effervescent with rage and trash talking Zane but from out of camera Zane flies in to punch Cesaro until he gets dragged off and the episode ends with Cesaro yelling Zane like it's Wrath of Khan and I know it had to be a reference to that and it was so great it's the greatest fucking thing ever I love it so much I was so pleased that they did something so cheesy I love how like we got like a main event match but the actual main event is still the Zane Cesaro feud because it has to be it's so good yeah I was like whatever the shield you'll never be as interesting as this nonsense I think one of the things I really enjoyed the most about that bizarre, like, Zane moment is that the way they cut it, at least in on the app or the NXT network thing, is that you don't hear him get to the end. So it's just Zane, and then it cuts. And I was like, like ah. The show goes off the air in the middle of him screaming Zane, and it's just very Chef Kiss. Oh, it is perfection. Well, thank you so much for that breakdown, Bob. How did you find this episode? I don't know. It was sort of a weird episode. It felt like it had to do a lot of things that weren't necessarily big main event style things. Like it wasn't a Mm -hmm. bunch of payoffs. It was a bunch of things that needed to happen in order to have other things happen, or it needed to tie up certain loose ends. So it didn't feel narratively rich, but it was enjoyable. And I had fun watching all of the matches. And as always, I was glad to see Mason Ryan again. And I was very delighted to get more of that, you know, D&D team hanging out together. I believe this is the third episode out of four for this set of tapings. So a lot of the times NXT will craft narratives around the tapings because like the same crowd is going to be there the whole time. Mm. So they can kind of count on them having reactions to one episode based on what happened a couple episodes before. A lot of the tapings are structured like that, where like the last taping is the payoff. And that is very much true in this case, as we will see on the next episode. Okay. I mean, I was Um, glad to watch this one, but it definitely it didn't feel like a satisfying meal. It felt like fast food, but, you know, fast food sometimes really good. So it's okay with it. We'll see if this is satisfying for you at all, Bob, because unfortunately, it's now time to ring the bell. Oh, no. On a few people. Okay. First things first, we are ringing the bell for the shield. What? Oh, okay. Yep. Oh, okay, sorry. I For whatever reason, in my head, <laughs> I thought you meant the Ascension and I was going to scream, even though they weren't in this episode, because I've been missing them terribly. You will get them back next episode, I believe. Yay! But the shield, okay. you will not be getting back All in right. NXT. You know what? Good uh, fucking riddance. While Seth Rollins will make another NXT appearance several years down the line, <laughs> sort of as part of his main roster story, this is the last we will be seeing of the shield in NXT. Uh, Of course, all three of these guys went on to have storied careers on the main roster. All three of them have been world champions in WWE. At the time of this recording, Rollins is the current universal champion uh, and noted side piece of Becky Lynch. Whereas Reigns has been positioned as the successor to John Cena as the premier wrestler in the entire company. Uh, though that has been slightly derailed recently by the fact that he had to come back from leukemia, which thankfully he has. Oh, Um, God, sorry. It sounded like thankfully he has leukemia. And I was like, what? No, thankfully he has recovered from leukemia. All right. Good, good. As for Dean Ambrose, Bob, 
You currently know him as John Moxley of AEW. What? Yep. What? I didn't. I don't even hate John Moxley. Now I have to hate John Moxley. <laughs> I mean, I don't like John Moxley, but I don't hate him. Bob has been watching AEW, and of course, uh, Mox looks a little bit different these days than he did back in the halcyon years of 2013. Jeez, how did he, like, he developed several muscles and a beard? Moxley is actually a fascinating character because he is one of the few people who was so creatively unfulfilled by WWE that he turned down their money and left. Whoa. Which is not something you're seeing a lot of people right now be creatively unfulfilled. And then WWE is like, you know what we don't want you to do? Go to AEW. So here's a bunch of money. And they're like, okay. Moxley was like, no, I actually want to wrestle and do things that I love. So I'm going to leave. So, yeah, kudos to him. He's done a lot of um, podcasts and interviews where he talks about the process. They're very entertaining. um, If anyone wants to go check them out. Oh, man. Now I have to not hate him. All right. All right. You might have to um, check out his interview on the Talk is Jericho podcast. It was very, very good. We are also ringing the bell softly for Curtis Axel, as we will see him again, but not for over a year. Paul Heyman, I don't think you're going to see very often on NXT either, so we'll ring the bell for him. And we are ringing the bell as well for Big E Langston. What? Yeah, he does have one more NXT match left in him, but by this point, he's pretty much finished his transition to the main roster. Okay. And in fact, he will be the one who does take the Intercontinental Championship from Axel roundabout Thanksgiving of 2013. Hell so yeah. He, unfortunately, is on his way out. Okay. Um, he has a long and, and complicated relationship with AJ Lee and Dolph Ziggler going on in the main roster oh. along this time, but... Uh, Biggie Langston will become most famous for his role as a member of the three-person team, The New Day. And we can talk about that more probably later because it also involves Xavier Woods. Yeah. So let's not get into that yet. I know like one thing, and that is that they have bright colors. They have very bright colors. And I love it. I Yes, I love it and them. So now it is time to transition into the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. So, Bob, for this episode, what did your elf eyes see? Hashtag butt watch. Oh, no, it's back. It is. How could it not be? Because there's a giant X on Curtis Axel's ass. <laughs> and it's sort of above the start of the crack, but, you know, very much centered in that area. And all I could think was like X marks the spot. Like it was just some sort of map to treasure. The treasure that is Curtis Axel's presumably well-toned butt. <laughs> so, Miles, what did your elf eyes see? A lot of this is probably going to be AJ Lee focused because, like, so much of what I noticed about this episode related to her in some way. But that fucking Divas Championship, I just hate it. I hate that title. I'm sorry. No, I'm it's so cool. glad it's gone. Seeing it, I was like, oh, oh god, that thing. We meet again, my old nemesis. <laughs> so, Bob, what did your Vulcan ears hear? I hope we didn't pick the same one because this was so singular. It was William Regal, naturally. He was talking about the expressions on the faces of everybody in the shield and then Team D&D, which is what I'm just going to call Graves, Neville, and Woods. Sure, yeah. And he said, the eyes are the windows to the soul, Tony. I don't have a soul, but... And then he just trailed off. (laughs) And I'm like, what the fuck? What the actual living fuck does that mean William Regal I mean it just means that he's made a living out of hurting people severely I guess I guess but he said it like you know like either he used to have one or there's a story behind it like he (laughs) lost it in a bet or it fell down the back of the sofa it was such a (laughs) weird way to just say I don't have a soul. So matter of fact. Yeah. Oh, man. He deadpanned the fuck out of it. All right, Miles, what did your Vulcan ears hear? Actually, not going with something said on commentary this time around. I briefly heard the crowd during Paul Heyman's promo start chanting CM Punk and wondered what you thought of that or if you even noticed it. 
I think I heard them chanting it, but I didn't understand what they were chanting. I know that CM Punk exists. I've heard it said, possibly by Lucas, possibly by you, possibly by somebody else, that Corey Graves is discount CM Punk. Right. Yes, I'm sure I have said that. Yeah. And then that's kind of the extent of my knowledge of CM Punk. Well, we don't have to go into it here, but uh, suffice it to say, CM Punk is... A wrestler who, well, he was a wrestler. He's no longer a wrestler. One of the only wrestlers to walk out of WWE and tell them to go fuck themselves when he Whoa. wasn't creatively satisfied. He just like straight up went home one day. Whoa, <laughs> and, ballsy. And, and never came back. That is but, a hell um, of a thing. This was before that, although not too much before, I think. He is a very popular at this point, very famous wrestler, um, you know, world champion, everything, and is the guy who coined the term Paul Heyman guy during the legendary pipe bomb promo, which happened uh, earlier in 2013 when he broke kayfabe and spoke directly to the fans and did all kinds of interesting things that got him a ton of attention. Anyway, yes, he very strongly associated with Heyman. And uh, married to AJ Lee, as it happens, and um, in real life. And also, it was just interesting because, like, at the time, people were chanting CM Punk because he's associated with Paul Heyman. Now people chant CM Punk whenever they're bored or want to express their dissatisfaction with the product. (gasps) That is such a powerful legacy. God damn. Jesus, I'm trying to think of, like, how amazing it would be if my name became like a phrase of demanding more from a thing that I was experiencing. Like that's <laughs> insane. I am so in awe. CM Punk, you're a fucking hero. He's such an unbelievable asshole and I love him so much. I don't think I've heard anybody say he was a pleasant fellow. Like that no. has not come up in any of the no. statements I've heard about him. All right, Bob, what did your human heart feel? I felt a lot of things. I mean, I missed the Ascension. I was glad to see Mason Ryan. But uh, mostly, I was kind of bummed that Woods was the one who got pinned. Mm. I didn't want any of the D&D trio to get pinned, but I really didn't want Woods to get pinned because it made me think about Kofi Kingston losing to Brock Lesnar. as like this. Because, you know, the Shield's kind of this bunch of authoritarian kind of dickheads. Sure. And then, you know, Xavier Woods, man of color. And then I got mad all over again just because I was like, man, stop making the person of color lose just because you have like these white people. Well, I mean, at least he was pinned by the S.H.I.E.L.D.'s resident member of color. Yes, I was willing to accept that as the silver lining of the entire thing. I mean, it would have bothered me a little bit less if it had been Graves or Neville. But I also wondered if the reason why Woods was the one to get pinned was because he was the newest member of the D&D trio. Yeah, and also not one of the tag team champions. So probably Uh, the easy the easy call for the person who would lose that match. That makes sense. I'll take it. But also, fuck Brock Lesnar. Seriously. Miles, what did your human heart feel? I just was consumed by fear for Bailey's life. <laughs> yeah. That moment. Especially because I, I know about AJ and she is just a complete psychopath and will murder you in the ring. And I love her and I'm afraid for you, Bailey, because you're going to die. <laughs> yeah. Whenever AJ Lee sort of got that wild eyed look, I was going, this is not going to go well. Like, this is going to go worse than I'm imagining it's going to go. Yeah. All right. Those were the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. It is about time for wrestling history of the week. (sighs) But before that, we need to hear Bob's fanfic that was based on the wrestling term of the week from two episodes ago, which was championships again. So, Bob, you've had a couple of weeks uh, due to the arrival of Dan Mulcairin to think of this fanfic involving the main roster championships. So let's see what you got. Hisoka stood in the ring, arms raised triumphantly over the fallen body of Luffy. The referee gave Hisoka the United States Championship belt to reach to take his hand and raise it in victory. Hisoka just grinned. It takes mere seconds for treasure to turn to trash. He threw down the belt and grabbed at the skin of his neck, peeling it back to reveal the white bulbous face of the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man, the current heavyweight championship title holder. The crowd gasped and hissed in betrayal. Not something you see every day, the commentator (laughs) stuttered. The Stay Puff Marshmallow Man peeled off his face, unveiling the shiny chrome of Atomic Robo, current holder of one half of the tag team belt. 
Yes. Atomic Robo looked around unblinking as the crowd bayed in outrage, then reached a hand up to pull back the final layer <laughs> underneath the face of a young woman with short brown hair and dark eyes. She grabbed the mic. It's your women's championship winner, Arya Stark. Ooh. I only have good. one thing to say to you. Luffy, Hisoka, Stay Puffed, <laughs> Atomic Robo. The crowd went silent. Valar Morghulis, she whispered into the mic before dropping it to the mat, taking her new belt and leaving the ring to awestruck whispers of Valar Doharis. Oh, that would be fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> I would watch the shit out of that. So thank you so much to Cosplay Fiend, Cosplay Devotee, Sandwich Surplus, and Matt Greeno for giving me your character suggestions. I could not have done this without you. I needed all of these to sort of make this happen. Nice job, guys. Nice job stepping it up in a big spot. Yeah. Bob, are you ready for some wrestling history? I'm so ready for this wrestling history lesson. For the inaugural edition of Wrestling History of the Week, let's talk about the Attitude Era. Oh boy! Generally agreed to have begun in late 1997, this is a period of WWE history defined primarily by two things. The first is that it involved the Monday Night Wars which was the ratings battle between the World Wrestling Federation, WWF at the time, and its competitor, World Championship Wrestling, or WCW. Both companies had their primary TV shows, respectively Raw and Nitro, airing against one another on Monday nights, with WCW notably beating the WWF in the ratings for 83 straight weeks, which is the last time anybody has beaten them in the wrestling ratings. The other major characteristic of the Attitude Era is that because of the Monday Night Wars, it involved content designed to boost ratings, hmm. i.e. content designed to get a reaction. This meant increased violence, blood, the hypersexualization of women, numerous lewd, disgusting or otherwise shocking story elements, and of course, homophobia. Hmm. Anything to get people talking. Smart people will tell you that the WWF ultimately won the Monday Night Wars due to the legendary story of Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Mr. McMahon, along with the talent and charisma of stars like Austin, The Rock, and Mick Foley, along with WCW creative not knowing how to write their way out of a fucking paper bag. Mm. But the extreme content, as it was called, was driven by the desire for ratings. Now, WWE claims the Attitude Era was their own thing, but it was actually born in a small Philadelphia-based wrestling promotion called Extreme Championship Wrestling, or ECW. ECW was the brainchild of Paul Heyman, uh, and it developed a surging cult following in the late 90s during the Monday Night Wars by having more violence, more blood, more hypersexualization of women, more shocking stories, and more homophobia than WWE would have ever dreamed of having. They did have great wrestlers, and Heyman is a master storyteller, but the draw of ECW was always that it pushed the envelope. After the company folded in 2001, many of its wrestlers, as well as its concept of extreme or hardcore wrestling, continued to be featured in WWE programming, which is why, to this day, Heyman receives chants of ECW whenever he makes an appearance, especially in Philadelphia, where he is revered as a crazed, irreverent, hardcore god. ECW was actually briefly brought back by WWE in the mid-aughts as a third brand alongside Raw and SmackDown, but it didn't have the same edge, wasn't great, didn't last long. Heyman, of course, has had his own career in WWE independent of ECW and is actually currently the head writer for WWE Raw. Hmm. WCW also folded in 2001 and the Monday Night Wars came to an end, with WWF being the victor. The Attitude Era functionally came to an end as well, though WWF would continue promoting their product under that name for another year until they lost a lawsuit to the World Wildlife Fund and had to change their name to WWE, thus necessitating a shift in branding. Fuck yeah, this World Wildlife Fund. <laughs> this would begin the quote-unquote ruthless aggression era, as it came to be known, ah. which is a subject for another time. 
Hardcore matches and other remnants of the Attitude Era would continue influencing WWE's television product until 2008, when that product went PG, and they kind of had to tone it back. Because so many fans today grew up in or were initially drawn to wrestling because of the Attitude Era, it is often fondly remembered as, quote, back when wrestling was good. And that's fine if that's your opinion. I personally think that compared to wrestling today, the Attitude Era was largely garbage. Mm. And yes, that very much includes ECW, which I contend actually does stand for extremely crappy wrestling. And if you have something to say about it, at MJ Schneiderman, whoever wants some, feel free to come and get some. (laughs) Uh. I don't know what you're going to do as a fanfic in terms of uh, that wrestling history, but fortunately, you have two episodes to do it because we have another guest coming on for the next one. We do. And thank God, because I really got to think about what that's going to (laughs) be. With that, we've come to the end of our show, which means it's time for the cheap pop quiz. Yeah. Question number one. Next episode, the photobombing hippie who's been showing up backstage will finally wrestle a match. As such, we hear the ring announcer tell us where he's from. Where is that? Is it A, Eugene, Oregon? B, Boulder, Colorado? Fuck you, I know exactly why you chose these places. (laughs) C, the Moonchild Commune. D, a local drum circle. (laughs) Or E, Parts unknown. I mean, yeah, some good places to see somebody with uh, partially bleached dreads. All of these. <laughs> uh, parts unknown. Parts unknown. Choosing E. Question number two. Also next episode, as we know, Dolph Ziggler graces our screens for the first time. He will be going up against someone who was briefly, very briefly, in that battle royal back in episode two, but is now wrestling his first singles match in NXT. Oh, wow. Who is he? Is he A, a Japanese sumo wrestler? B, a Bulgarian Muay Thai fighter? C, a Brooklyn street tough? D, a Mexican driving a lawnmower? Or E, the mayor of Slamtown? Ah, uh, the mayor of Slam. No, I'm going to go. <laughs> I'm going with C. Brooklyn Street Tough. Yeah. Question number three. Next episode, we will witness a two out of three falls match between Sami Zayn and Cesaro. Who wins and what's the score? Oof. Is it A, Cesaro, two to nothing? B, Cesaro, two to one? C, Zayn, two to nothing? D, Zane, two to one, or E, a draw. Okay, so they're pushing Zane, kind of, and they've got him involved in this feud, but I don't think they want him to lose to Cesaro, but I know there's going to be ongoing drama with him for a while. I'm going to say a draw. A draw, E. I just, I can't, because I can't decide. I don't think it is going to be a draw, but I can't decide. (laughs) You're punting on this question. Yeah, I thank you for having a punt option. I mean, (laughs) I just can't think of how it's going to end. And like, if it were me writing it, that's what I would write, even though that's not what they're going to write. But I don't honestly know what they're going to write. All right. Well, the fact that you have no idea who's going to win is one of the signs of a good feud. So, Oh, good. uh, Okay. Fair enough. All right, Bob. Well, I think that's all we got for this episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Thank you, as always, for uh, joining me on yet another uh, part of this adventure. Yeah, thank you so much. And I made good on my threat. Oh, no. There was indeed a Twitter poll, and we have found out what we believe to be Dean Ambrose's real backstory. I mean, this is based on supposition. Tell the world, Bob. uh, He was... A dad who was in a band. That's it. That's the answer. 50% of the vote went to dad who was in a band. There were four options on the poll, so that's actually a significant majority. Band dad did quite well. Although I do also want to give a shout out to some of the other 
excellent things that people came up with. Changing Shades said, obviously Cincinnati scumbag isn't as much of a thing as I thought it was because Mox is the definition of one. The man oozes Colt 45 outside of Great American Ballpark and smashing it in the parking lot on the way to the entrance. And he is from Cincinnati, so I think that's where that comes from. Earth Mofo said, Dean Ambrose looks like the public defender who stayed up all night snorting lines instead of prepping his case slash defense and showed up to the courthouse with no idea as to what he's supposed to do there or even what year it is anymore. (laughs) Kept upright solely by the cocaine and then posted a picture of uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi giving a critical look in the quote, he's more cocaine now than man. (laughs) He's got a little bit of that. M. Bond tweeted at us, Dean Ambrose unironically has both thin blue line and in my house we don't call the cops with a clip art handgun on his lifted diesel truck. <laughs> Not wrong. I mean, and we then, should put those on the poll because I don't think we come up with better uh, options than these. Right. And then also M. Bond said, Dean Ambrose thinks creatine powder is a major food group. <laughs> Harsh. Brutal. Just brutal. Dean Ambrose has been assassinated here today. Yeah, Dean Ambrose is not having a good day. Dean Ambrose is not having a good month on this podcast. <laughs> no, no, poor Dean Ambrose. I mean, to some extent, not. Oh, shit. I forgot Changing Shade said this. Someone scraped all the gum off the bottom of the desk in detention and put a leather vest with the powers of the top hat and Frosty the Snowman on it. Wow. And there then, you have uh, it, folks. Oh, wait, there's yeah. more? There was one more that Lokified, our beautiful, beautiful Lucas Brown, said to us that the shield found him fighting himself out of boredom behind a 7-Eleven, kicking himself in the head like a Knack McFeagle um, (laughs) from Terry Pratchett, if you're familiar with that. I am. And decided to weaponize him using the promise of some Rio Bravo beer and a shot glass of nacho cheese. Just like general all the time shout out to Lucas Brown. And if you're not following him on Twitter at Locified, you should be. We had a beautiful conversation uh, over the last couple of days about uh, which wrestlers align with Good Omens characters. So that was super fun. And Lucas was like spot on with almost everything. If you want to interact with us on social media, you can find Megan Bob on Twitter at Megan Bobness and myself on Twitter at MJ Schneiderman and of course at NXT Wrestling Fan for the the show account. So uh, you should definitely talk to us about wrestling and good omens and all the other nerdy shit that we're super into. We do have one other way that you can hang out with us and other like-minded, kind-hearted, lovely, interesting people at the Smash Fiction Fan Faction. So for those who aren't aware... Bob and I, for the last several years, have been part of another podcast called Smash Fiction. And Smash Fiction has pretty much officially wrapped as of this month. Uh, the show is is essentially over. Uh, the feed is still active, so you can go back and listen to everything. Um, and we're going to be dropping some more stuff over the course of the rest of 2020. But for all intents and purposes, the show has concluded. And our Facebook group, the Smash Fiction Fan Faction, is essentially now open to uh, anybody who enjoys this show, anybody who enjoys Garden Plots with Skeletor. Yes. If you enjoy our work and you want to come hang out with us on Facebook and you want to hang out with the community that we've cultivated over the last several years that we're very proud of and we will kick you the fuck out of if you try us. Yeah, it's a community of kind heartedness. And that is the main thing. We try to think of it as an island of niceness amongst like some of the raging waters of assholery that you might otherwise find on Facebook. Yeah. So if you're trying to bring those raging waters to our doorstep, uh, we will ask you kindly to leave. Uh, However, assuming you don't want to do that and you just want to like chill and be cool and be awesome and talk about nerdy shit like wrestling and many other things, you should definitely go to your Facebook and uh, apply for membership in the Smash Fiction Fan Faction. It is an absolute hoot and I strongly encourage all you to do it. Once again, the Smash Fiction Fan Faction, which is now the home of all fans of all the shows that are springing from the corpse of Smash Fiction like daisies after the corpse has been... (laughs) reconstituted into the ground (laughs) after it's been lightly composted it's extremely late i just want to point that out miles and i are both a little punch drunk i guess (laughs) uh thanks so much for listening thanks so much for your reviews thanks so much for your interactions on social media and everything you do thank you so much we will be back in two weeks with a new episode of the next wrestling fan bye
The Next Wrestling Fan is produced by Miles Schneiderman with logo design by Claire Mulcairn. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for our theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at www.incompetech.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook as the NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. You can also follow Miles on Twitter at MJ Schneiderman and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. Visit our website at nxtwrestlingfan.com for show notes, episode transcripts, and more. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. Caricatures? Yeah, sorry. Caricatures. What did I say? Caricatures? Caricatures. Oh, I pronounced it either way, but yeah, caricatures. I, I, yeah, I, whatever. I don't, doesn't matter to me. Yeah. <laughs> what are words anyway? Who cares? I know. English is a garbage language. <laughs> this has been Miles <laughs> and Megan Bob opine about what William Regal fucks like. <laughs> Uh, That's a bonus episode.